Well, Genesis chapter 20, if you will turn in your Bibles to Genesis 20. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we have been walking through the book of Genesis. Uh, we started back in January. We've been walking through it. We've gone through creation, and then shortly after creation, of course, you see the fall. And we've spoken a lot about how in Genesis chapter 3, God gives a promise. Chapter 3.15, He promises a Messiah is going to come, and He is going to crush the head of the enemy. And that's the story that the Bible tells from beginning to end, is the story of fallen man waiting for our king to come and to defeat the enemy. And that's the story we're in the midst of. God uses lots of people in this story. And so the person that we've seen and focused in on in the book of Genesis in recent weeks and months has been Abraham. Abraham is someone that God used. He pulled him out of essentially a pagan people. The scripture doesn't really say there was anything about Abraham that would have caught God's attention, but God chooses Abraham. He, he pulls him out of his people, and he says he's going to bless the nations through him. And so there in the Scripture, we see this consistent theme of a blessing that's going to come, specifically with Abraham, a blessing that's going to come through a child. And that's pointing us towards the gospel. It's pointing us towards the blessing that comes through Jesus. And so Abraham's received this promise, and then we've seen Abraham and we've seen his nephew Lot kind of as a contrast to one another. Lot being one who chooses to walk by sight. Uh, Abraham and Lot had this decision to make about what land they would graze their herds in, what land they would go with all the resources God had blessed them with. Lot chose by sight, which led him to Sodom. We looked over the last couple weeks about what a bad choice that was and what came out of that and how essentially Lot who walked by sight and tried to hold on to so much, essentially the last sentence of his life that we read about in Genesis 19 is just a sad, sad state of affairs. He dies essentially in wickedness with nothing. And then we've seen Abraham who has walked by faith, but in his walk of faith he struggled. And I share that with you this morning in hopes that you will see, for those of you who are followers of Christ, that as you walk by faith, as I walk by faith, we will struggle as well. But God's word gives hope to those who struggle to walk in faith. And I pray that you see that hope as we look to the text today. So if you would follow along with me as we look to Genesis chapter 20. If you remember when we left Abraham, he was on essentially a hillside. He was on Mamre and he was looking down at God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the last place we saw Abraham. Chapter 20 verse 1 picks back up with Abraham. This is what the Lord says through this. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocent of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die. 
you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them these things. The men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place which we come, say to of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. And Sarah, to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female servants, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. If you would pray with me for our time in God's Word. Father, we are thankful, and we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that in these moments, as we look at this text, that you would teach us from it. Lord, that You might call those who are in sin out of sin, that You might call us into repentance, that You might call those who are seeking to walk by faith, to continue in faith, that You would stir us all, Lord. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have been with us, there should be something familiar about Genesis 20. As I read through that text, as you read through that text, you should kind of have that aha moment of we've been here before. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, shortly after the Lord called Abraham to follow him and gave him this promise of blessing, we saw a similar situation take place. Uh, There we saw it was in Egypt and it was Pharaoh, but a similar series of events. Abraham goes to Egypt Uh, He is scared, that's what takes him there. He is fearful that he doesn't have what he needs. There's a famine, he doesn't trust God to provide in a famine. And so he goes to Egypt, and in Egypt he tells a similar story. He says that Sarah is his wife, she is not his, uh, excuse me, she is his sister, not his wife. And we see a similar situation where Pharaoh then takes Sarah into his home. And a similar situation where God speaks through Pharaoh to rebuke Abraham. All these events have unfolded before. And so it's easy for us to get Genesis 20 and say, well, we've kind of covered this ground. Uh, Abraham's done this. But I think there's something for us to learn because what we see in Abraham's life, I think, is what we see in ours. Just because you've dealt with a sin years ago doesn't mean you're not going to deal with that sin again. In fact, many times the sins we struggle with today are the sins from our past that we haven't fully dealt with. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Abraham. And so what I want to do is point out three very practical things for the believer today. Three things that Abraham did not do in hopes that as we seek to walk in faith, we will do them. 
The first one is this, point one. We need to learn to wait on the Lord. We need to learn to wait on the Lord. The first thing you see in this text is that Abraham is on a journey. And the question that should come to mind then is, why is Abraham on a journey? I mean, think of where we last saw Abraham. Abraham met with the Lord. The Lord appeared there in the flesh to Abraham. We talked about that this is a pre-incarnate Jesus speaking to Abraham face to face as a man speaks to another man. He's accompanied by two angels. Those two angels go on to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Lord speaks to Abraham. This is the Lord meeting with Abraham. And in this meeting, what did Abraham ask for? He pleaded with God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you remember that prayer, that conversation between the Lord and Abraham. Well, Lord, if you find 50 righteous, you won't kill everybody for the sake of 50, will you? And the Lord says, no, I'll, I'll preserve them for the sake of 50. And then Abraham keeps reducing that number. The last conversation, the last thing we see between the Lord and Abraham is Abraham saying to the Lord, Lord, you won't destroy it if you find 10 righteous, will you? And the Lord says, okay, if I find ten righteous, I won't destroy it. That's the last part of that conversation that takes place. Then the scripture says the Lord leaves. The next picture we have of Abraham is Abraham is standing there at Mamre on the hill looking down at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just think about that for a moment. The text doesn't tell us exactly what is going on in Abraham's heart and mind, but I can't help but wonder if that's not a picture of a disappointed Abraham. I mean, think about it. The the, the one thing that Abraham asked God not to do, God did. Have you ever had that experience? That the one thing you say, Lord, take away anything. Just don't take this away. And that's the very thing that the Lord takes away. You say, Lord... You can do anything, but don't, don't, don't do this one thing, Lord, and that's the very thing the Lord does. Or the opposite, you say, Lord, please, please don't do this. Don't do this. Whatever you do, Lord, don't do this. And that's the very thing the Lord does. And essentially, that's the picture we have of Abraham here. He has asked the Lord, he has cried out to the Lord, Lord, please do not destroy these people for the sake of ten. Now, we don't know if Abraham, when he's standing on that hillside, if he knows that Lot... And Lot's daughters are still alive. We we don't know that. The text doesn't tell us that. We never see a reunion between Lot and Abraham. We talked about that last week. But I think the indication here now of Abraham journeying suggests that we have a disappointed Abraham watching the cities burn that he asked God not to destroy. And so rather than stay and wait, he is leaving. Now think about what the Lord has told him before that whole conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah. What did the Lord say? He said, I'm going to return in about a year and Sarah, your wife, is going to have a baby boy. How does Sarah respond? She, she laughs. <laughs> this is not the normal course of events at this stage in their life. They have been promised this child for decades and this child has not come to fruition. And so the Lord finally says, here's the timetable. About a year from now, I'm going to come. So the Lord has said to Abraham, I'm going to return to you and Sarah's going to have a boy. So what does Abraham need to do? Abraham just needs to sit and wait and trust. And yet, what does Abraham do? Abraham goes on a journey. And if you look at a map, he's going on a journey back towards Egypt. 
He is moving from the promised land back to that place where in Genesis 12 we saw him fail to trust God and we saw him sin against God. I've shared with you before as we walk through these texts that what you have here is a picture of what we have in our life. That we are either moving closer to the Lord and further away from sin or we are moving deeper in sin and further away from the Lord. We are not standing still at any point spiritually. We are either growing in faith or we are growing and walking by sight and in our sin. And what you have a picture of here is an Abraham who has walked by faith but is now disappointed in his faith. And now he is essentially fleeing from the Lord. What we have a picture of is a restless Abraham. And friend, nothing good comes out of our restlessness. Perhaps you've had times where the Lord has told you to wait or you've asked the Lord for something and He's not provided and you grow restless and then you turn to yourself and what you can do to fix that situation, what you can do to provide what you're asking the Lord to provide. And so often, friend, it does not end well. And that's what we see here from Abraham. The text tells us that he ends up going to the territory of Negeb and that as he goes down there, he comes into a similar situation as what happened when he went to Egypt. Except this time it's not Pharaoh, it's Abimelech. Now, Abimelech is a title. Uh, This was a king. And it wasn't so much that his name was Abimelech. It's kind of like in Egypt, they called their leader the Pharaoh. Uh, The Philistine people called their leader Abimelech. And so we don't know what his actual name is. He's referred to as Abimelech, much like Pharaoh is referred to as Pharaoh. And that's important to understand because you see Abimelech come up again in the Old Testament. We're not just always speaking of the same person there. In fact, you'll see Abraham's son struggle in a very familiar way with Abimelech. Then you will later see people who are named Abimelech. Probably the one that stands out the most that I remember is in the book of Judges. It's one of the sons of Gideon. He's a wicked, wicked Abimelech. Now this Abimelech, when his father dies, he seeks to assassinate his 70 half-brothers. And the reason he stands out to me is the way he died. And the text tells us that Abimelech died because a woman dropped a millstone from a tower and it landed on him. And he managed to live through that, but he knew he was going to die. And so he had his sword bearer kill him, the scripture says, so that it would not be said of him that a woman killed him. Now you laugh, but some of you men in here probably do the same thing. You don't want that to be the legacy of your life, that a woman dropped a stone on your head as you were walking by Bart Smart. This name Abimelech does not conjure up men of integrity. And yet, what we find in this Abimelech is one who actually has integrity. In fact, he has more integrity than Abraham does. Abraham, who would not trust God and would not wait on God, found himself being a terrible witness for God. Point two, what Abraham did not do, what we must do, is bring sin into the light. Bring sin into the light. We have this picture of Abraham, and Abraham is in sin. Abraham has put the plan of God in jeopardy. I mean, think about it. The Lord has said, in a year, in about a year, I'm going to return, and she's going to have a son. And so what does Abraham do in his disappointment? Not only does he flee from where he'd met with the Lord, but he goes into a pagan land, and there he gives his wife over to this pagan king to spare his own life. He puts the entire plan of God in jeopardy. 
And it's not him who the Lord then speaks to. It's this Philistine king, Abimelech, who the Lord comes to in a dream. And when the Lord comes to him in the dream, immediately notice how Abimelech responds. He says, Lord, verse 4, will, will you kill an innocent people? He goes on to say to the Lord, listen, this guy said that this was his sister, and she said that's her brother, and I, I'm clean on this one. In fact, he specifically says that in the integrity of his heart and the innocence of his hands, he's done this. Notice how the Lord responds. The Lord affirms the integrity. The Lord affirms that you, you didn't know what you were doing, but you know what else the Lord says? He says, if you don't undo it, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to wipe out your household. Now think about that, Christian. How many times do we say, well, I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. If I knew it was wrong, I wouldn't have done it, but I didn't know that it was wrong. And I mean, You can't really hold me accountable for doing something I didn't know was wrong, can you? Here we have a Philistine king who says that very thing to the Lord. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. And what does God say? Yeah, you didn't know it, but if you don't undo it, I'm going to kill you. God is showing us there is a consequence for sin whether we recognize we are sinning or not. Whether we affirm what we're doing is wrong is not the issue. The consequence stands and we're called to repent of it. And I think many times the reason that we don't open this and that maybe we stay away from coming into church and being around believers is because we don't want to know what is wrong in hopes that we can feel we're okay. We didn't really know that it was wrong, so I'm okay. The Lord says, okay, you didn't know it was wrong, but there's still a consequence. And here to Abimelech, it's a pretty heavy consequence. I mean, what has Abimelech done? He's taken another man's wife into his harem. Now, we look at that and we think, okay, Sarah's kind of old at this point. You know, earlier in Genesis 12, it makes more sense. The Scripture says she's young, she's beautiful. Here we have an old Sarah. Why does he take her in? It's very customary in Abimelech's day, in Abraham's day. This was the way that treaties were made. This is the way kingdoms were built. If a woman came into your kingdom and she was unmarried, this king, he would take her to be his wife. He would just add to the many wives he had. And that's, a, that's another treaty, another connection he's made with another foreign people. Uh, Abimelech is just doing here what Abimelech would normally have done. But it's sin. It's sin because he's taken the wife of Abraham. It's sin because the plan of God is in jeopardy. And there's a consequence for this sin. And you see the greater, deeper sin issue here is Abraham himself. Abraham knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows that it's wrong. And so he needs to have it brought into the light. But what we see from Abraham is the same thing we see from ourselves. When our sin is brought into the light, when people speak to us about our sin, how do we respond? I think we respond much like Abraham responds here. We give excuses. I mean, parents, how many times have you gone to your child and there was clearly something you asked them to do that they just clearly didn't do or perhaps they were told not to do something and they did it and, and you go and say, listen, didn't I tell you this? And how many times do they respond by saying, oh yes, father, mother, you did and I am completely wrong. I have sinned against you in this household and I knew exactly what to do and I chose not to do it and, and I need to repent of that. If yours has, I'd say they have a great preacher. 
as my wife laughs. No, what do they do? They do the same thing you and I do. Well, uh, no, but, uh, well, excuse, excuse, excuse. And, and, and you end up going who knows where. Think, think of these, those little family circus cartoons I remember reading as a child. And you'd have the little boy, and he was getting out of bed, and he needed to go to the breakfast table. And he went all over creation before he got to that table. And then that, when we're confronted in our sin, rather than just deal with our sin, we, we go all over the place. Look at where Abraham goes. Verse 11. He says, well, first of all, I fear for my life. You people, I knew you didn't worship the Lord and you were going to kill me for my wife. And so I had to do this. You ever find yourself saying that about sin? Well, I just had to do it. Number two, the second excuse well, you know, she is my sister, kind of. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother or the other way around. She's my half-sister. We, we've talked about this. I know this seems completely grotesque in today's day and age, but this was normal in Abraham's day. He was married to his half-sister. But he wasn't honest. And that's just another excuse. You ever do that? You, you, you try to walk around your sin by saying, well, I kind of did that. Well, I didn't really. Excuse number three. God made me do it. Verse 13, listen to what Abraham says. When God caused me to wander from my father's house. Oh, poor Abraham. When God snatched Abraham from a pagan people and chose him to be the one through whom the promise would be made and be fulfilled, and to bless nations through him. That's Abraham's story. But Abraham's excuse and his sin is, oh no, God caused me to wander from my father's house. I had to protect myself. And notice what he says. He turns to his wife, Sarah. When God calls him from his father's house, before he even gets to Egypt, before he gets to where he's at in this text today, he turns to her. And look what he said. He made this deal a long time ago. He said, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. See, Abraham knew that there were some wicked places out there. And then in a lot of wicked places, they could just kill him and take Sarah into a harem. And so before Abraham even gets in that situation, he looks to his wife and essentially what he says is this, Sarah, if you really love me, you will lie and say you're my sister and you will enter into marriage with another man. And she does it. I can be careful I don't get on a soapbox here, but I will. I tell my daughters already... If a young man ever says to you, if you love me, you will, he does not love you. And I will do some things to him. And you laugh, but if you're a young man in here, so often we excuse sin the same way. So often we are afraid that God's going to take something away or that we're going to lose something if we don't compromise our standards, our morals, our integrity. 
If we don't cross lines that the Scripture has put there, we're afraid that we're just going to lose this thing we think we so desperately need. And friends, the, the firmer you hold on to your plans, the more difficult it is when God pulls those things out of your hands to use you for His plans. Excuse after excuse after excuse. And the Scripture tells us clearly, in sin, what we need to do. We don't need to give excuses we need to bring it into the light, friend. Listen to what we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message you have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. There's no room for it. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Abraham, you are lying here and you're not practicing the truth. And so you're not in fellowship with the Lord. Not only that, but the Scripture then says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the grace of God, Christian. The enemy wants us to hide in the darkness and the enemy convinces us if we bring our sin into the light, then we will just be ashamed and we will be scorned and we will be mocked. And so we have churches, and we have a church here, who we, we keep our sin in the darkness because if I get up and I confess and I bring my sin into the light, then people will know who I really am, and people may not like who I really am, and people won't want to be with me. And they'll just talk about me. And yet, what does the Scripture say? If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Here's the reality. The thing that you think you're hiding, we most of us probably already know about. And you think you're the only person who has sin. You've got to keep it down here. And the reality is that's all of us. And if we could just learn to bring it into the light, not to celebrate our sin, but to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for that very sin. See, if your fellowship is based on a facade or an appearance, then the Scripture says that's not biblical fellowship. And that's not going to last. The church is to be a people who come together bringing their sin into the light that they might have true fellowship with one another. It's cleansed believers. Otherwise, friends, we're just putting on a show. We're called to walk in the light. Last thing we see here that Abraham fails to do that we must do, point three, is be a blessing to others. Be a blessing to others. It's interesting, you see Abimelech here fear the Lord more than Abraham does. As soon as Abimelech is confronted by God in a dream, he wakes up and he tells the people of his household, and they're scared. They have a healthy fear, I would say even a reverence for the Lord, that Abraham does not have. The, the tables have been turned. See, Abraham was called to be a blessing to the nations, and yet what is he being here? He's being a curse. The last verse of chapter 20 helps us to see what's happening here. Because of Abraham's sin, the Lord has closed all the wombs of Abimelech's household. 
He has brought a curse on their household because of Abraham's sin. This implies Abraham and Sarah, they were there for a little while. I mean, this was not just, we're there for a day, I lied, he had a dream, we went home the next day, call it a weekend. This was some amount of time spent there to the point where Abimelech's servants and the people in his household began to recognize there's a problem because none of these women can get pregnant. None of them can have a child. And that's because the Lord was bringing punishment on them because of Abraham's sin. Abraham was to be a blessing, and rather he was being a curse. Point being this. Christians, we are called to be a blessing to others. But are we? Think about people that you work with. If you were not in that workplace as of tomorrow, would they be missing something? Do they recognize, those who are non-believers, that you are such a blessing to others that if you weren't there, they would see. Man, we, we miss them being here. They were such a, a blessing. If this church, if we shut and locked those doors after you left, and we did not open them next Sunday or any other Sunday, and we just closed house here, would this community even know? Apart from the cars not being here on Sunday. See, we're called to be a blessing wherever we are. And I'm not saying that we're a blessing because we pay people's light bills or put gas in their tank. I'm talking about we're, we're a blessing because we share the love of Christ with them. Because we pray for them. Because we proclaim the gospel to them. Because when they come to us with their hopeless, ruined lives, we say, there is hope for you. And there's hope for me. And it's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the blessing we're called to be. Abraham was to be a blessing. Rather, he was a curse. We are called to be a blessing. Friend, are you? Am I? Are we? Because if we're not, then we need to repent. And we need to be one. This community should look different because of Bloomfield Baptist Church. And friend, this world should look different because of this and other churches as we go about the business of the Lord's work and we proclaim the gospel of the King who is returning for His people and who declares one day, one day, that He will make all things new. Let me give you just a real practical thing here you can do. Because so often I speak of going out and proclaiming the gospel and sharing with others and so often we are scared. We don't know how to do that. We don't know what steps to take. You can just start this week by speaking to someone about God. By praying for someone. How can I pray for you? My pastor said that, that we need to be praying for people in our community. How can I pray for you? By engaging them in a conversation about the Lord. We have some little books. I don't know if I brought one up here. They're called The Essential Jesus. They're about this big. They're paperback. They're in English. They're red and gray. And you can find them if you leave there. You can find them out here in the lobby. It's a real thin book. But what it does is it talks about the gospel. It's the Gospel of Luke. It's a great resource to give to someone and say, listen, we're giving these away at church. We just want to know what you think about them. Will you take this and read it and start that conversation of being a blessing? See, tomorrow morning, your friends at work, they don't need to know about the game. They've got ESPN. They can find out everything they need to know. They need to know that they can have hope in Christ. And you are God's means through which they will find that hope. And we are called to be that blessing. 
We see a picture here this morning of one who's not. But God is not done with him. And God will still use him. And friend, that's a great encouragement to us. Because no matter how much we fail, God will continue to use us. And we will see that next Lord's Day as we continue walking through Genesis together. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you for the grace of your word. And Lord, for the picture we have today, really, of failure in Abraham's life. And yet, from that failure, Lord, we can learn. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would help those of us this Lord's Day who are struggling to be patient and to wait on you. Lord, help us to wait. Help us not to grow impatient and run towards sin. Lord, for those who right now, this Lord's Day, they they have sin in darkness and they are deathly afraid to talk to others. That others might really know what's going on in their heart. Lord, help them to follow the biblical command to confess our sins to one another that we might experience the cleansing work of the Gospel. Lord, for those who really aren't being a blessing to anyone right now because of their sin, because of all these issues. Lord, help us, help them to repent and to walk in faith. And Lord, as you have blessed us, to richly bless others. And Lord, we trust that the greatest blessing we can give is the blessing of introducing someone to our Lord and King, Christ Jesus. Would you help us and burden us to do these things? We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.